0: Episode 11, the FOTIME podcast. I'm not in South Carolina anymore, Toto. Hey, we've got some great stuff coming up for you. Don't go anywhere. It's FOTIME.
1: AmateurRadio15.com presents FOTIME, the other ham radio podcast. Sponsored by Main Trading Company. Find them online at mtcradio.com. Now, here's your host, Kale Nelson, K4CDN.
0: Episode 11, hard to imagine. If you count six bravo, we're up to a dozen. Hey, I'm Kale. Thanks for tuning in. It is the Time Podcast, and I'm coming to you from Cullum, Alabama. No, I'm not at home in Spartanburg, South Carolina. I find myself on the road as we Travel to release a new product that my wife has come up with for her industry—that is, the beauty industry. So, if you know anybody in that industry, send them my way. I've got something for them. But uh, for now, I've got something for you. I've got a great episode coming up, a little bit different this time. It's not just about me, but it's about some of our former guests we've had here on the program, along with a new one. We're going to be joined in a few minutes by Jeremy KF7IJZ, and just a little bit, we're going to hear from Gerald and uh, they're going to share with us some things that are on their minds right now regarding the hobby and the Time podcast. want to give a big shout-out to our friends at Maine Trading Company. Don't forget, if you need gear, you need to check them out. They are the official Time podcast sponsor, and they've got what you're looking for regarding amateur radio gear. If you need new gear, possibly on a limited budget, you need some budget gear, some pre-owned gear, they can take care of you there as well. So make sure you give them a look at mtcradio.com, They still have their new ham specials and the prepackaged ham specials exclusives for the FOTIME listeners. All right, so without further ado, let's go ahead and get into this episode. Here's KF7IJZ. Jeremy.
2: Thank you, Kale, Folks, it's KF7IJZ. Good to be back with you on the FOTIME amateur radio podcast. You know, it's uh, getting to be fall here and uh, things for me have been personally quite busy. I uh, haven't had much time to be out uh, shooting new videos or playing around with much. But as I'm uh, starting to look around the shack and starting to prepare for the indoor winter months, one of the projects that I plan on tackling uh, this season is revamping my entire portable emergency communication setup. Very popular in our community for folks to build uh, MCOM boxes or GO boxes uh, and it's basically a, a portable case that allows a ham to take with them easily amateur radio and communications capabilities. I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about the thought process around uh, putting one of these together and the things that somebody needs to consider. Uh, the main reason I'm talking about it is because I have built probably two or three different boxes now, and as I, as I use it, um, as I think through it more, uh, I, I realize that I've done things in the past that I didn't really need. And there were some things that I really did need that I didn't think of. And uh, so my is my, my personal uh, go equipment is uh, constantly evolving. So kind of starting out um, before anybody even starts talking about anything. I mean, we, we need to have an understanding of what is the point of this box? What is its goal? Um, as Nuttin fancy would say is what is the, the philosophy of use and uh, understanding those things and doing the legwork up front uh, to establish why you are building a box and what you expect it to do and where you expect it to do um, will really help answer a lot of the questions uh, that you'll run through as you go throughout. And more importantly, it will give you a reference to, to constantly look back to um, if you you reach a point and uh, you kind of get lost along the way. And, uh, you know, it, it helps keep you on track um, for accomplishing a goal. So generally speaking for problem solving, Uh, when evaluating stuff like this, I always take uh, a journalism approach. I I always try to ask who, what, where, when, why, and how um, for for everything that I do, for every project that I do. And the MCOM box or GO box is really no different. Um, One of the first questions you need to ask yourself is, who is this box for? Are you serving um, a public safety agency or uh, I'm an emergency management agency within your, uh, your city or your town or your, your locality. Are you working with an Aries group or other ham radio um, activities? Or is this box really for yourself? I mean, uh, as an example, the boxes that I have built in the past really are for me first. And because I, I know my gear and I practice with my gear, they also just happen to be useful um, for the other emergency communications groups that I, I support here so once I've thought through who I'm going to be serving, I now need to, to think through what capabilities do I need. Do I just need a, a dual-band VHF-UHF radio because uh, I'm primarily going to be relying on repeaters or simplex communication? Or do I need to add HF radios because I'm expected to be able to provide communications capabilities uh, across my state or across the region? Do I need to be able to support digital modes um, in such that I need to have a laptop with the appropriate software already loaded? Um, or going back to the VHF, UHF, does my local group use DSTAR for emergency communications exclusively? And now, uh, Yesu's System Fusion. So, the, those are the things that, that you need to think through as far as uh, what, what capabilities do you need to have in the box. Um, you know, also, is it helpful to have a scanner? in there, you know, so that you can listen to other emergency services as they're operating, uh, you know, during an event. After you, you've you talked about who you're working with or who the box is for, what capabilities, you know, now think about where are you going to be using this? Is this something that will only be employed because you get a phone call um, to deploy to, say, uh, an emergency shelter, and you're going to be the only one there with a the radio and you have to be completely self- sufficient. Uh, Or is it you're going to show up at a trailer somewhere or or an uh, emergency management center and you're going to go in and there's going to be power and a place for you to sit um, and a place to hook up and really all you need to bring is just the radio? Um, You know, so that, that drives a lot of decisions. Next, you need to understand is kind of how will I get the thing from point A to point B? Uh, like I said, is this something where, uh, I would be driving across town or is it the kind of thing where I'm going to be responsible for lugging this in, you know, on a, for a five mile hike for some reason? Uh, so how portable does it need to be? And then finally, um, kind of as a, a secondary consideration is who all will be using my gear besides me? Um, you know, do I need to include quick sheets or instruction sheets? Uh, do I need to make sure everything is pre-programmed into memory so that it's it's easy for an inexperienced operator to sit down and, and take over the controls if necessary? Once you've decided on what equipment it is you need to um, actually provide to, to operate your emergency communications box or your go box, uh, the next thing that people start looking at generally is what am I going to put all of this stuff in? Do I plan on building one giant heavy box that has all these capabilities, or am I going to take a modular approach and have many smaller boxes that I can customize uh, to to, uh, support the amount of equipment that I need for whatever it is that I'm doing? This is probably, let's be honest, I mean, ham radio has a lot of gadgets in it, and uh, building the box itself is probably one of the most fun parts uh, about this. Um, and this is an area that I I could spend hours talking about containers, but I, you know, for those who are just thinking through this and haven't done a lot of research yet, just to quickly give you a list of things, um, on the simpler and and cheaper end of the spectrum, uh, there are plenty of folks who are installing a radio inside of a, a 30 cal or a 50 cal ammo can. Uh, With a simple VHF-UHF dual bander, um, you know, mounting the head to the lid, flipping it up, getting it there, and then making all the connections to your antenna and power uh, wherever you get where you're going and just having the radio in the box. Uh, Moving up from there, there are folks building um, wonderful kind of integrated systems that have multiple capabilities uh, inside of these plastic dry boxes called Spud Boxes made by um, MTM Cases. They're available in uh, orange, black, green, uh, and I, I won't get into color preference because that, that's, that's up to you. But, uh, they're, they're weather resistant. Um, they're lightweight. They have a lot of room. They're inexpensive and, and easily accessible, uh, and very customizable because they are uh, kind of a softer plastic. Um, kind of getting, you know, up from there, I've seen people use, uh, both metal and plastic toolboxes from Home Depot or Lowe's. Um, I've seen some organizations use these, um, They basically kind of look like rolling coolers, and it's an entire setup that has an entire VHF, UHF, HF, um, you know, all-in-one shack-in-the-box radio with a a ton of batteries inside of it, and you just drag it along in the field wherever you're going. Um, And then you go all the way up to looking at building things into music rack cases by Gator or SKB uh, that have luggage handles and wheels so you can lug it. Uh, You can put drawers in there for all your little accessories, um, and you mount everything on standard 19-inch rack shelves, and it's very nice. And, you know, you you can go from there. Some people build cases out of wood themselves. Um, Some people use military surplus uh, large equipment cases and shock-mounted racks and all kinds of crazy stuff. But the point is, you know, the, the box needs to be capable of holding all the equipment that you need to support Uh, or provide the level of support that you have uh, identified while planning. Uh, It needs to be durable, because this is something that is meant to be moved around, and it is something that needs to be able to be mobile. If you know that you're going to be a solo person going somewhere, it probably doesn't make sense to install that Yaesu 5000 and uh, getting a bunch of old, uh, like a Yaesu 736 for VHF, UHF, and putting it in a box, uh, because quickly the thing is going to get very heavy. Um, whereas it might make sense for you to instead take something like a Yaesu FT-857 uh, or an ICOM 7100 that's kind of an all-in-one, um, all-band, all all-mode, and it can go in a, a smaller box. Um, but you know, when, when looking for the actual container, definitely consider where you're going to be using it, what capabilities it needs to hold, um, and you know, how durable it is. So of course, once we we have our box full of our radios and we are ready to go and we're out in the field and we're ready to operate, the next thing we need to worry about is power. And again, the, the, the power discussion will be driven by uh, all the considerations you do in the planning uh, portion. Uh, are you building this just so you can show up to an emergency communication center or some type of the emergency management center and there's already... A power supply and backup generator power, and an antenna connection there on a desk for you, and you just have to provide the radio. If that's the case, then maybe all you need to do is throw something like a Kenwood uh, TM seventy one A in an ammo can and be done with it. Uh, are you actually going out to the field and you know setting up at maybe an emergency shelter for the Red Cross? You know where you have no expectation of power. Uh, and you need to be able to then bring your own power, be it something like a generator or, um, you know, a battery and a solar setup. But, you know, you just have to to consider through, will you have the ability to plug in to uh, AC mains power? Um, do you need to take power with you, like I said, either as a generator or uh, in battery form? How long will you be operating uh, you know, are you expected to be able to provide gear for an afternoon race where you might just need a couple of batteries to get you through an eight hour shift, or if there is a legitimate, uh, emergency, like with the Joplin tornadoes or Katrina, where you may be operating for, you know, a week or more. Um, and then one of the last things to consider, and this is, uh, another personal preference thing, but how much do I integrate power with the box, the, the MCOM box or the go box itself? I personally, um, on this topic, have come around and have decided that power should be separate of the radio capability because then I can customize my loadout um, for whatever it is I'm going to be faced with. So I don't have to lug a a power supply or batteries around if I don't need them. Uh, But that's personal preference. A lot of people do prefer the all-in-one integrated setup. And um, in an example where you may have an AGM lead-acid battery in your box... You may have something like a a power gate that is already, um, you know, charging the batteries and it just gives you a backup capability, even if you have mains power where you're going, but it gives you an additional backup capability to keep operating in the event something should happen. Uh, But again, that all comes down to personal preference. Finally, on the the high level list of things to consider, and it's uh, certainly more important than the, the box or the container, um... And every bit as important as as the battery, though, is, is your antenna. You know, again, you need to consider, am I going somewhere where there's an antenna drop? You know, there's a coax drop there for me to plug in. There's already, uh, you know, a VHF, UHF antenna on the roof that somebody's installed ahead of time. Uh, am I going to a trailer where there's antennas? Am I going to work with a group where we have a bunch of military portable mast kits and I know antennas are going to be taken care of? Or do I have to be completely self-sufficient? And I need to bring along maybe, um, you know, for VHF, actually for anything, um, do I need to bring along a painter's pole and some guidelines? Um, you know, maybe throw a, a J pole on the top of it or some other um, type of VHF, UHF antenna. Um, do I need to bring HF antenna capabilities? Do I need to be able to put out a 40 meter NVIS antenna? Um, and there's a lot of designs for portable antennas, but uh, at the end of the day, antenna pieces tend to not fit in the MCOM boxes themselves, um, so they don't necessarily get as much consideration as part of the MCOM box, but again, if you don't have the antenna, lugging the radios around doesn't necessarily do you any good. So, just something else important to consider that you have the appropriate antennas that match. Uh, the RF capabilities that that you have have built in. So those are are kind of my high-level things uh, to think through. I know that in a future episode, we are going to spend a lot more time digging deep into this and getting different opinions and viewpoints on specifics. Um, I'll leave you with no matter what type of box you build, probably the most important thing to remember is to test it on a regular basis Remain familiar with it on a regular basis and keep it up to date. And when I say keep it up to date, um, I've seen situations before where people have their little dedicated emergency radio. Uh, maybe it's an HT, maybe it's a Go box, um, but they don't they don't pull the radio out, you know, every three months and make sure that repeater frequencies are up to date or that their you know band plans that they've worked out with their you know their groups have been. Um, updated, and that's that's an important thing. Data management in the radio is a is a very important factor uh, for making sure these kits are effective when and if they're needed. Um, but thank you guys very much for the opportunity. Uh, it's always an awesome subject because you could do everything from a, a Yaesu FT60 with a uh, an Ed Fong, uh, I think their DB2 roll up J pole antenna. Um, with a whole mess of AA batteries as an emergency communications go box, all the way to building um, something with you know military shock mount rack mount cases uh, that have the top of the line HF and VHF UHF gear and you know hundreds of pounds of batteries, uh, so that it is literally uh, an entire rack of RF equipment ready to go and fully self standing. Uh, and that's part of what's so fun about this topic. Uh, So thanks again for listening. This is KF7IJZ.
0: All right, so we've heard from our buddy, Jeremy. KF7IJZ. And uh, Jeremy, you know, Jeremy just hit 1,000 subscribers on his YouTube channel. I wish I could get 1,000 subscribers to the FOTIME podcast. Dude, I'm so jealous. But I do have to wonder how many of you guys are watching Jeremy's videos and subscribing to his channel. You need to check it out, YouTube whatever KF7IJZ and uh he's got some he has got a lot of great stuff man I'm telling you I love having him as a part of the photon podcast now if we go back and we talk about 6B the episode 6B which wasn't an episode but Jeremy and I were talking about uh, or he we were talking about me okay and he said I got a call from a buddy of mine KF5JNU uh Gerald Gerald's a great guy he's active duty marine and I don't really know what they say, so I'm not going to screw it up and say the Army word or whatever. But uh, Gerald is uh, Gerald's a, Gerald's a buddy of mine and a buddy of Jeremy's, although I've never met those two and they get to hang out all the time. It's really not fair. But uh, Gerald, I called Gerald and I was like, man, I really want you on the FOTIME podcast. And um, since we're doing this open segment kind of thing, I'd like for you to have a part of the show And uh, he said, well, what do you want me to talk about? I was like, whatever, man. You know, I mean, this is open. Share with us what you want to talk about on the FOTIME podcast. So just the other day, he came through. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is Gerald Wilson, KF5, Juliet, November uniform. Gerald, welcome to the FOTIME podcast, bro.
3: Hello, Kale and listeners of the FOTIME podcast. Gerald Wilson, KF5, JNU here. So Kale came to me not too long ago and asked me to do a segment for his podcast. He left the topic up to me, and I had, a, I had a hard time thinking about what I would do. So I thought back to our trip to Dayton. At Dayton, I saw a lot of neat things, a lot of cool technology and different radios and all that, and couldn't really narrow down anything. One thing that I remember most out of the whole trip was sitting in the hotel room and turning on the radio to the APRS calling frequency. That frequency of one forty-four decimal three nine zero megahertz was crazy. I've never heard that that much APRS traffic in ever. I've been doing APRS for about two years now, and there it was just packet blast after packet blast after packet blast. Uh, stations were popping up, stations were passing messages. It was all sorts of traffic. I couldn't couldn't believe it. So. That, that made me realize that APRS is still alive and well, and it's uh, you know some things that might interest some of the newer u- users of amateur radio and maybe some of the older guys that haven't gotten around to setting up an APRS station. So I figured I'd, I'd talk about that. APRS was started in 92 uh, uh, by Bob, and I'm not going to attempt to butcher his last name. It was originally started... Uh, I think with a lot more intention than what it's used for today. The name stands for Automatic Packet Reporting System. A lot of people try to replace the P with a position, so they tend to use it more as just a vehicle position tracker. And if you read on Bob's website at APRS.org, he's, uh, he tries to turn you away from that and show you all the different things that you can do with APRS. APRS is mostly used in VHF on the 2-meter band at a baud rate of 1,200. So 1,200 baud on 2 meters is where you're going to find most of your traffic. Uh, It's capable of using UHF and 9,600 baud. Um, Some places, larger larger metropolitans will use 9,600 baud on UHF. But for most of my uh, experimenting, um, VHF 1200 baud does, does pretty well for the little bit of information that you're practicing. There's even some activity on 30 meters of some 300 baud APRS, which is pretty neat. So why, why do people mostly use it to track vehicles? Well, if you're familiar with GPS info, you'll know that there's a NEMA string in that NEMA string gives out your position, your altitude, all all the different information that your GPS is getting. That's pretty easy to send into a packet and send it out over the air. So it's information that changes that is a standard format that can be sent out over the air. So if you're sending out a standard packet, other people can receive that standard packet, and they can easily decode it, and then they have some information. Well, GPS is one thing. Uh, another common use for it is weather stations. You know, if you always send out the temperature in the first, um, the first slot, and then you send out the humidity in the next slot, and then you send out the wind speed in the next, and the wind direction, and so on, as long as you keep that format, it's very simple to send those same packets out over and over again, and other people be able to read them. The other thing that it does is it allows you to send out messages, either free text where you just type it out or a standard message and have it repeat the same message over and over again. So one uh, one thing you could use there is if you have a repeating net or a reoccurring net that goes on in your area, you could take and have the, the APRS station there beacon out, hey, join us at... 8 p.m. on this frequency for our amateur radio club's net, and somebody passing through could see that, and they would know where to turn and at what time. Uh, Like I said, the free text, the text messaging, you can message back and forth, uh, send updates to each other, ask questions to each other, just like you would with a cell phone. There's another neat um, feature, I guess you could call it, in some of the radios, the Kenwood radios, I have this all built into them. They have the APRS capabilities, and that's voice alert. Voice alert allows you, while on 144.390, to use a tone system so that if you're driving down the road and you call out CQ on voice on the packet frequency, somebody else that has voice alert activated will hear you talking, and then you can QSY to another frequency. You can change to another frequency. The reason you do that is how many of the listeners have gone on a trip and driven for miles and miles at a time and had their radio set to the National Simplex calling frequency on 2 meters or 440 or you know 220, but I doubt you're going to get much there. But let's say just 2 meters. You're set on 2 meters. You would have to call out constantly to see if you get anybody because you're looking at traffic that's coming at you too. Say you get an average range of 10 miles, mobile to mobile. you know, Going at each other at 60 miles an hour it, uh, leaves a very little window to, to make a QSL with someone. So you rely on your APRS. It beacons out, and when you get within range of each other, you say, oh, there's somebody headed on the, the interstate with me. You holler at them on the frequency, you both have voice alert, you QSY to another simplex freak, and there you go. It's a... Uh, I made a few trips down I forty, going from east coast to west coast. I've had a couple QSOs on there, but like I said, it's it's kind of a radio feature. Um, I don't know of really any device that allows you. You can set it up with your uh, uh, tone squelch and tones, but you kind of you gotta have a little bit of know how on what you're doing there. It's not too hard, but if you do a little reading. If you do a little reading, you'll, you'll get it set up pretty easy. So what, what's required to get you on the air with APRS? So of course you're going to need a radio. That radio is going to need to cover the band that you want to do. It would be nice if it had a data port, but you can get away with using a microphone port. You're going to need a TNC. That TNC is a terminal node controller, and it's going to convert the computer signals into a tone to be sent over the radio. So you may have seen an AFSK, that's Audio Frequency Shift Keying. So that's what your TNC is doing. Now this TNC, in recent years, has been uh, emulated in software. So you can actually have a program on your computer to do that for you. One of the most um, notable in this is the APRS Droid application for Android phones. You can actually hook your radio into your tablet or your phone, and send out these packets over the sound card. Uh, in my experience, I've had a lot better luck using a hard, hardware-based uh, TNC. Uh, a couple different manufacturers are Argent Data Systems. Um, Argent Data makes some really good radios with pre-made cables and uh, really simple to use. Tiny Trek. Uh, Tiny Trek's the same way, uh, pre-made cables and radios. And then you can get into a, uh, the Raspberry Pi has a, um, a board that can plug into the top of it for a TNC. Uh, that's a pretty fun little kit if you're interested in building kits. It takes about an hour to put together, and uh, it's pretty fun. So once you have that hooked up, you have a couple things. You can set it into automatic beacon mode, um, and it'll automatically just beacon out what you tell it. If you plug in a GPS, you can tell it to beacon out that data. If you just have it set up at your house and says, hey, meet me on this simplex frequency, it'll do that. It'll do what you tell it to do. Now, where it gets fun is when you plug it into a computer and you use a few different programs on your computer to look at what's around you. So what I mean by that, YAC stands for Yet Another APRS Client, Yankee Alpha Alpha Charlie. It's written in Java, so that's nice because it can be used on Linux and Macintosh and Windows. Um, it's really simple to use, and what it does is it sh- throws up a map. And on that map, when you have it hooked into your TNC, it starts popping up other users around your area, and you can actually see you know, where they're at. If you see that you know, your buddy Tom is north of you a couple miles, and he just beaconed to you, you can click on his icon and send him a message, and it'll pop up on his radio. So there's a bunch of, uh, a bunch of neat stuff that can be done with that. And then once again, it's not for position tracking per se. Uh, you can use it for messaging and weather data, and a lot of those features will be apparent to you whenever you get a, uh, a computer client like Yak. If you kind of want to get an idea of what I'm talking about, go over to aprs.fi. Alpha Papa Romeo Sierra dot Fox India, and that's a website that will kind of give you an idea of what your client would look like on your computer if you installed it. Uh, those are using what are called iGates. iGates are an APRS station connected to the internet and takes the packets that are sent over the APRS and it pushes them into the internet so you can see anywhere in the world APRS traffic within range of one of those iGates. So the other neat thing with that is now that you have an iGate, that's part of a a bigger network. So now you're away from just the user-to-user APRS stuff. Now you're creating an APRS network. In that network, you can have things such as digipeters. Digipeters are neat because it's a repeater that you don't need filters, you don't need a repeater controller, you don't need multiple radios. One radio, one TNC, and you can repeat traffic across the, across your area. Just about any, any system that you're going to set up for APRS can be used as a DigiPeter. Um, to kind of get into the weeds, if you can find a, a, a TNC that says it supports KISS, K-I-S-S, um, you can use it in your software on your computer to be a DigiPeter. Uh, both the Argent and the Tiny Track will support Kiss, so those are uh, pretty good, pretty good options for this. And that allows you, if you're in an area, remote area, to extend the range of the network, especially if you have a base station. So now, anyone who might be on a Handy Talkie in your area can talk to your house, just like a normal repeater up on a on a tower or on a mountain. Um, it'll broadcast it out. Uh, you can really get into the weeds there. Uh, you can set up pass. You can tell it, hey, I only want you to repeat traffic to the north. And any node that receives traffic that's south of your position, um, it's just going to disregard it and not repeat it. But the stations to the north might hop it one or two more times. So there's, there's so much configurability, and that's why I'm a really big fan of uh, Bob's website is because he goes into so many examples of uh, awesome things that you can do with the APRS system. The International Space Station actually has a Digipeater on it as well, and I'm not sure exactly right now what satellites are up. But every now and then, um, there's a satellite up that's got a packet, um, a packet station on it. Now, the the International Space Station, I've yet to make a, a contact with it over APRS, so I can't. Uh, Can't tell you too much about that, but it's there. Uh, The other thing that is pretty cool in my book, and I know a couple of the guys that participated in it, is the Golden Packet event. The Golden Packet event uses radios set up along the Appalachian Trail on the uh, east coast of the United States, and they send a packet from Georgia all the way to Maine. And this year, 2014, they were able to do just that. They sent a packet via... uh, I don't want to say simplex, but uh, there each station with Digipete. So while it is technically a repeater, it's sending it jumping. And that one packet just jumps all the way from Georgia to Maine. And there was no internet involvement, no nothing. So if you think of that, if say you're in Atlanta, Georgia. You could have sent a message to somebody in Buffalo, New York and vice versa. So that's a pretty pretty neat thing as a, a long haul system. So that, that's just you know another example of why we need to get out and start playing with APRS. Get out there, you know, it's relatively inexpensive. My first APRS station was a Wuxon handy talkie with a cable that was plugged into my computer and I was using a Linux program called Sound Modem that emulated a TNC. It got me up, got me on the air, let me make some contacts, and that was enough to uh, to entice me to buy a, a hard hardware TNC. Um, you know, even the hardware TNCs, uh, as of right now, you can get one for less than 100 bucks, And that's, you know, for all the different utilities that it does, I think that's well worth the price. So uh, hopefully this interested you into APRS. Um, hopefully, you know... You get out and you get an APRS station of your owner. At least, you know, at the next club breakfast that you go to, you ask some of the guys if any of them are into APRS and uh, find a local Elmer and see if he can show you some APRS stations or hardware or some different types of equipment that you might need. And uh, if all that fails or you don't have a club, you don't have an Elmer, get on YouTube because you can find out anything on YouTube. So... That's, that's what I have here. I'm going to say 7-3 to Kale and the Time podcast and hope that you all have a a good couple weeks or until we talk again. KF5, JNU, Gerald,
1: 7-3. Visit mtcradio.com today. A great one-stop mom-and-pop shop. For everything ham radio, radios, antennas, power supplies, wire and cable, books and training materials, microphones, headsets, and accessories. Find popular brands like MFJ, Heil Sound, Jetstream, LDG, Elenco, Comet, Texas Bugcatcher, Radio Waves, and more. MTCradio.com, an authorized Kenwood and Icom dealer. MTCradio.com. Hey, Cal.
4: This is Chris from Sanibel Island, Florida. I have a question about preparedness as far as ham radio operators. I'm not yet licensed, but uh, aiming towards that direction. Uh, We had a severe hurricane, Charlie, years ago. Wiped out all communications on the island. And also I remember listening to the Joplin uh, tornado event uh, show. And uh, I was wondering, how is someone best to be prepared when looking at different radios whether it's from a hurricane or tornado event where everything's totally cut off, or even a uh, solar flare event where we would have electromagnetic pulse. Are there any specific radios that would be something to look at that would not be influenced by that, maybe going back to old tube style? Um, I appreciate it, really enjoy the show, and uh, God bless.
0: All right, so that's Chris from Sanibel Island, Florida. Wow, I'm not too far from there here in Alabama. Well, yeah, I am. Anyway, <laughs> Chris, thank you for your call, and uh, we hope that uh, this this program will continue to entertain and inform, and hopefully get you around to getting your license. Uh, it's always a good thing to have in case of an emergency. Uh, to to tackle your question, uh, the 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 past episode we talked about Kell's opinions and and what he would buy this and that. But uh, directly to your question, what is something good to have in case of an emergency? Uh, hurricanes, tornadoes, severe weather, storms uh, like the, uh, the big ice storms they had up in the northeast and the midwest. Uh, Chris, I would start with a good scanner, all right? Uh, and you're saying, well, this is about ham radio. I want to talk. Well, yeah, yeah, but, uh, you know, 99% of what goes on. Wow, there's a huge cat here at this farm. Um, 99% of what goes on during an emergency uh, is not going to be you needing to talk. It's probably going to be you needing to listen so that you're aware of what's going on around you. So uh, even in regards to preparedness, uh, that is a good place to start. Now, I'm not discouraging you from, you know, pursuing your license. I think that is something that really can help you and, and be a part of preparedness but uh, if I had thirty, forty, fifty bucks to spend right now, I would find a scanner. Uh, and some people say, "Well, I can use my Baofeng thirty-nine or twenty-eight dollar walkie-talkie." You can, and more than likely, if you live in a rural area, you're not going to have any encryption or anything on your radios from your police and fire departments, and you can listen to them. Uh, the only problem with the the cheaper Chinese walkie-talkies is they're painfully slow when scanning. And you can find a nice used Radio Shack or Uniden uh, scanner. And you can find them on eBay. You can find them on the uh, swap.qth page that I mentioned back in uh, whenever. I guess that was number nine. Uh, but you can find some nice used scanners for 20, 30, 40 bucks. You can check pawn shops, Craigslist. Uh, You need to determine what type of system is being used in and around your area of operations or where you live or where you anticipate bugging out if you're into prepping. And um, get a scanner that will correspond with the systems in play there. Uh, But once you do that, uh, you program your scanner frequencies in and you start listening. Now, where do you find those scanner frequencies? Radioreference.com is where you want to go, and we'll link there and you type in your state or your city or your zip code or whatnot, and it'll give you all the frequencies that are in use in your state and your county. And um, that's where I would start, okay? And, and, you know, I'm a I'm a beer budget kind of guy. I've got five kids. I've told you that before. It's a single-income family. So I'm looking out for, you know, trying to find a good economical way to get into what we're talking about uh, you can go spend $350, $400 on a unit in Home Patrol, get it home to your house from Amazon or whatever, plug in... The, um, the zip code where you live, and it programs all the frequencies, and, and it just takes care of it for you. Uh, but I have probably, in my own little collection, four or five uh, hundred, two hundred, three hundred, a thousand channel scanners that I've accumulated over the years, being in past public service, fire department, and whatnot. And um, I like to keep those on hand, because in an emergency, listening is a lot more important than talking and that kind of leads me into this prepper thing here that since you brought it up chris that uh <clears throat> you know we have a we have there's kind of a two-sided coin here in regards to preparedness and amateur radio you have those folks who embrace amateur radio and understand the importance of it and how well it would work in regards to a, a problem like you said the hurricanes um the problem with snowstorms and tornadoes <clears throat> we've talked to uh We talked to Cecil Higgins, episode one, about the tornadoes and what Amateur Radio did there. Uh, We've had a call before from Paul uh, from Louisiana regarding uh, him not having a license at the time that uh, Katrina came through, and and he had no communications at all, which encouraged him pretty rapidly to decide to get his license. Uh, You have another side of the coin. The other side of the coin is the people who who are in preparedness. And, and I've seen the videos. I've heard the guys just come out and proclaim that having a license is stupid and you don't need to be in a government database. And if you have a license, you're going to be in a government database and they're going to come take you out and put you in a FEMA camp and make you run their radios. I can't say that anything like that's going to happen. I can't deny or, or, or even believe that it would, but I know this, um, uh, if you're into preparedness, more than likely you're, you're looking at preparedness, YouTube videos, and you're, part of probably some online forums and you're probably already on any government list if they are such a thing. So what's being on another list and having the understanding and practice that your license has provided you to be prepared for an emergency. So if you're pre- if you're a prepper if you're into preparedness, I encourage you to get your ham radio license. It'll make a big big difference in your state of mind and your peace of mind. Um, just take for instance you you're preparing right and uh, you like these folks on TV on these shows and they have their house full of this dried this dried food. Uh, I, I figure they've probably at least opened one or two packs to see if they liked it to make sure they had no adverse reactions, if you know what I mean, to what's being prepared. Uh, Just think about, okay, let's say that uh, you're going to be a prepper and you buy, you know, a tractor trailer load of mountain house dried goods, okay? And you don't try any of it and the world just goes to pot and, you know, you're surviving and you've got all this dried food. And the, the first thing you open up is the chicken teriyaki with rice, which is a really a pretty good mountain house. I've had that camping before. And you open it up and you have an allergic reaction to it. And you know, you die. It all, The rest of the tractor trailer load of food does you no good because you didn't try it before you had it. And that's the argument in, in regards to amateur radio. You have people who say, I'll just wait till the world ends. And then I'm going to take all this gear out of my closet. And I'm going to magically know how to use it and make contacts. And I can talk to my buddies and we can, you know, raid the local grocery store or whatever you know just typical dystopian fiction uh which i'm a big fan by the way But, uh, that's not going to work in real life because what's going to happen is just like the dried food you didn't know would make you sick, you're going to have a bunch of gear piled up on your workbench. You're not going to know how to operate it. Now, I'm not saying you're not going to know how to plug the power into it, maybe connect an antenna, but are you going to connect the right kind of antenna? Are you going to take out your VHF radio, your little Baofeng $39 walkie talkie, save the world radio and plug it into your CB antenna? It's not going to work really well guys, because it's not tuned for the right frequency, um, just like a guy wouldn't buy a rifle to prepare to protect himself with take it home from the gun store and put it in the closet never test it never sight it in never fire it never do anything and then wait till something bad happens and say hey wait a minute let me go grab my rifle out of the closet real quick no the guy's going to take it down he's going to practice with it he's going to clean it he's going to become familiar with it it just makes common sense and that's the that's the thing that we have a lot a lot of us have a hard time expressing to some people in regards to why is the amateur radio licensing important? Because when you have a license, it gives you the opportunity to practice with your stuff, okay? Um, having radio gear in your closet doesn't make any sense if you don't know how to use it. And by getting the license and getting involved with your local club or your local members or maybe even somebody in your little... Not your little your your preparedness group that may be uh communication savvy or a couple of you getting licensed or maybe finding somebody in your group that's licensed or getting someone encouraging someone that's smarter than you are if you will to get licensed, but someone if you have a, a preparedness group, and I know they they exist out there uh somebody needs to be able to talk and it may, might as well be you. You're listening to a ham radio podcast. You've got to be interested in it, right? So I would encourage you to get your license. I would encourage you to begin collecting gear. I would start with a scanner and maybe one of those cheap walkie-talkies or one of the ham deals that they've got at uh, MTC Radio and uh, begin practicing with it. There's there, On on amateur radio, all day long, all night long, there's different nets, and that's uh, November Echo, Tango, Sierra nets, like you catch fish in. And what that is, it's a network. This is short for network nets. And it's just folks that call in and chat with each other. And sometimes they'll be talking about their arthritis. And other times they'll be, you know, doing some serious radio work or talking across the world. Or you have the maritime net where the guys on the boats check in. And I, there's just a lot of different people to talk to under a lot of diff- different circumstances. And you can really learn how to operate the gear that you've purchased to use for amateur radio now. So, uh, of course, I'm an amateur radio operator. And I'm going to say get your license. But yeah, get your license. If you're if you're studying right now, if you buy a scanner or a cheap walkie talkie, you can begin listening to your local operators and see how the, uh, the the lingo and stuff works and get prepared for that. So uh yeah, get your license and start using start using your gear. Here comes a car down the hardly paved country road. <laughs> Sorry about the background noise. I am in Cullum, Alabama and I'm KLK four C D N. And to, to further answer your question, Chris, uh, in, a, in, a, in an event of a solar disruption or a nuclear blast, an EMP, um, there's a lot of good books about that, uh, great dystopian fiction. I'm actually working on some props for the uh, the Lights Out saga. Uh, they're, they're coming up with some films. I'm going to link to that. And uh, Travis Fox is working with that. And it's a great book, if you, can, if you can stand it. It's 800 pages. I've read it about four times. I just love the story. And I'm I'm working with some radio, working to get some radio props built for the film, and uh, I put a picture of two of the ones that I've done uh, that are really cheesy, but it goes along with the film. But to get back, okay, something happens in the movie or the book, and the power goes out. I, I can't say that everything is going to stop working. I, I can't. I just I'm I'm not necessarily convinced that everything that everything will break, but I'm not also convinced that most everything wouldn't break. I think that our grid is very fragile. I think that our electronics are very fragile as well. And, you know, um, I'm not a pro at this. I, I, answering this part of the question is one of the hardest parts for me because uh, I, I don't have a good definitive answer other than it appears, okay, if you look at look at what the Russians did uh, and still do to their aircraft, they harden everything, and everything uh, – Regarding the wind's blowing, everything regarding uh, the Russian communications and electronic systems inside their airplanes and and a lot of their stuff is hard. Now, I don't think the U.S. does that or has done that. Uh, I know that our grid is very susceptible, and uh, we've had folks like Newt Gingrich standing up and screaming, somebody please harden our grid. Um, so I'd have to say that if you can find an older rig, possibly, a tube-type rig, something like that, um, you know, maybe maybe build your own Faraday cage. Some folks say you can put them in a, a metal trash can or an mi- old microwave and they'll be protected. Uh, I haven't tested that, so I don't know. But it's interesting, and it's something I would personally like to learn more about. I wish I'd have put my coat on out here. It's chilly tonight in Alabama. But, uh, yeah, I think the two tie bricks would probably be okay. Um, in the Lights Out book. The uh the old C B radios work. Uh and they're probably supposed to be the old tube type or the old, 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 old twenty three type twenty three channel, you know, solid state rigs. But um I, I'm just not convinced that everything would stop working. But I'm also of the the mindset that it's probably not a bad idea to have one if you did need to use one. So, um I will look I will try to learn more about that, Chris, because I really don't have a good answer. For that, other than tube type rigs are believed to last longer. They did, if you saw Jericho, they uh, they had a Yazoo uh, FT101D, I believe, that they used there in in the te- television show at the police station. So, if if we can believe Hollywood, the uh, Yazoo FT101s, which will also work on CB illegally, according to the FCC regulations. Uh, <laughs> And that's the one that the the YouTube prepper guys will tell you to buy and you don't need your license. But I hope I've answered your question. I, I hope you guys have enjoyed the show. It's always fun to be here and to share what little I know about amateur radio, but, but to bring other people in and to let them share with you what they understand about the hobby. And, uh, we're, we're all learning and we, we're all looking for more answers regarding this thing that we love, this RF and, um. I appreciate you being here. You can go to the website, AmateurRadio15.com, and there you can link to lots of places. we got all the show note links there, okay, along with the link to the Main Trading Company, MTC Radio, our show sponsor, and the Amazon time store where you can go in and buy gear from Amazon, have it shipped to you, and uh, we get a little kickback. We have a donate button if you want to help us keep the show going, and we're working to keep everything moving smoothly. We appreciate you being here. Downloading most especially on the, uh, the the social networking site, sharing the links to the program and encouraging your friends, your amateur friends to come check us out, whether they're uh, ninety five or they're brand new and they're twenty seven and looking to get into this this hobby if you're a prepper, we appreciate you being here don't want to run you off, want you to come back and stick around and maybe we can convince you just how important amateur radio could be to your efforts there. It is a very, very strange time. We find ourselves living here, living in here. And uh, I hope you all have a great, great day. No matter where, who, and what time it is where you are, we thank you for listening. God bless you guys. Till next time, 73.
1: AmateurRadio15.com presents Bow time the other ham radio podcast. You can find our past episodes, web links, and more at AmateurRadio15.com That's AmateurRadio15.com Follow us on Twitter at Bowtime Podcast and remember to visit our show sponsor Main Trading Company at MTCRadio.com Till next time, 73s